Those who are watching online, whether you're watching on YouTube later or watching on the live stream, I just want to say welcome. We'd love to meet you. Send us a DM so we can shoot you a t-shirt to a address somewhere. We would love for you to join the One Church family. But we are in a new series today called Honest Moments. Just turn to your neighbor and just say, it's about to get real. Turn to the person behind you and say, it's about to get real. We are going to be looking at the book of James over the next five weeks. I know everybody's got their own opinion. Well, I like topical preaching. Well, I like expository preaching, right? And I think there's a mix of both, and there's a healthy medium and balance to speak to an ever-changing world, right? But I don't want to sugarcoat anything to you. And I just want to read verse by verse the book of James over the next five weeks. There's five chapters. The book of James was written about A.D. 50, somewhere around that region, and James is the, the brother of Jesus, And he's actually writing this letter to a group of believers who have been scattered. Everybody say scattered. Scattered. See, we think it's tough being a Christian in America, but we've never even been through physical persecution here, right? And James is writing to a group of people. Actually, James died a, a very terrible death. A lot of the disciples did. And he's writing this letter, and it's, it's a collection of sayings, almost like Proverbs. Anybody like Proverbs? You know, you get those one-liner mic drops. I love Proverbs. I, love, I, I read like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, over and over, because it got those, uh, the, those one-liners, right? And James, at, at, towards the beginning, towards the end of his life, he's, he's writing these collections of sayings to this group of people to encourage them. To say, let me just tell you what I've learned over a few years of following Jesus, knowing Jesus as a brother, knowing him as Lord and Savior. As he appeared at the resurrection, he saw, and this is really real. Like I saw that he came out of that tomb. Like I've seen him and James writes to those believers, but it speaks to us today. So the title of my sermon is Real and Raw, Real and Raw. And that's how I want to Approach this this morning with a very serious question. I want to ask you, where is your favorite place to shop? Uh-oh. Okay, nobody likes to shop. All right, all right. T- I swore nobody was going to say that. Give it up for TJ Maxx. Come on, okay. Any, anyone else? Where do you like to shop? Just shout it out. Marshalls. Maybe attached to a TJ Maxx, right? Okay. Wow. Hobby Lobby. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to a lot of Christians today. I don't know. Okay. Target. Yeah. Now I have another serious question for you. All right. You ready? Are you one of those people that like when you go into a store, you know exactly what you want. You don't have to try it on. You're like, I know my size. Don't try to tell me my size. Right. And you check out. Anybody like that? Anybody else that's like, you got to go into a fitting room. You get like shopping anxiety like me. You're like, I don't know. Do I want the, the black coat? Do I want anybody? Okay. All right, I'm the only guy in the room. Cool. Awesome. What's so interesting, right, about this is, uh, let me just be really real and raw with you this morning. This is what we often do with Christianity, with the message of Jesus. We, we try on Christianity to see what God can do for us. That's how we often approach the message of Jesus, right? I mean, think about this for a second. You walk into a TJ Maxx, where are you going first? Are you going straight to Home Goods? Anybody? No? Okay, so this is what we do, all right? We say, you know what, God? Let me, let me, I need some help. Like, I got to stop swearing, you know? I got to maybe stop this drinking thing. And I'm kind of interested. Like, I wonder if God can, like, help me with my family, right? Maybe he can, like, heal my family. I got my hood stuck in here. I don't know. God, I'm kind of interested, like, if you really are who you say you are, let, let's see if, like, I start tithing for a couple days. And let's see if, like, my bank account grows a little bit, right? 
we kind of try it on. Let me, let me just see how Christianity fits. And I can't even get this jacket on this morning, right? And so this is what we do. Look at this scripture, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'm just going to leave the jacket off, all right? James, a servant of God, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy. Everybody say pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, everybody say testing, it produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I say it like this, jacket half off. This is what a lot of our Christianity looks like today. Let's just be real, right? We've made Christianity a fitting room and not about full surrender. Think about that. Let me just try it out. Like, let me just see, like, financially, God, if you say who you are, let me, like, just give a little bit to the poor. Let me see if, like, that comes back a hundredfold, right? Okay, God, let's, let's see who, who you really are. Like, let me, let me see. If you're really real, then I pray in Jesus' name that you'd heal my whole family of all brokenness, sin, and cancer, and, okay, I guess you're not real, right? Like, let's just be honest. And we say things like, God, if you would, like, just save me, out of this test that I have to take, like, I'll follow you for the rest of my life, right? But here's what we do. We've made it, everybody say, a fitting room. But when we try on Christianity and a trial comes, we decide it just doesn't fit. Think about this. The main time where Jesus broke out whips and cords, you know what I'm talking about? John chapter 2. You know what was happening in that time? They made the house of God a marketplace, right? Because this, okay, let's just be really real. We kind of walk into one church. Man, let me see if I can actually get my jacket on. Let me see how uh, one church fits me. And I can't even get this on because I'm wearing three coats this morning, all right? So you're going to really remember this. Let me see how one church fits, all right? Okay, let me walk in and see how the pastor feels, right? Let me see how the worship feels, right? And, and there's no shame to that. There's actually wisdom, right, in praying for the right church, the right spouse. Yeah, can I get an amen? Okay, so I'm not shaming that. But we actually treat the entire message of the gospel this way, right? And so we're working at that job where God called us to stay, even though it's less pay and less credibility and less fancy. And we say, you know what? I'm not really feeling this whole, like, church thing. I'm kind of like, okay, we're just doing a little bit of it. God, like... I thought my bank account would be full by the time I, I would start following you. And actually, my life has not gone easier. It's gone harder. Jesus says, when you follow me, you will have trouble of many kind, right? So when a trial comes, everybody say trial. You know, I'm not really down with the whole, like, you know, live pure. I'm not really down with the whole thing. Like, like I love that Jesus died for me. And he rose for me, and I'll take that. Like, like, let Jesus be my Savior, but Jesus being my Lord. Like, you can, you can take that away, right? So when a trial comes, we decide it doesn't fit. When Jesus came and he spoke to those people, and he actually broke out whips and cords, right? He didn't hurt anybody, okay? Hang with me, okay? Some of you are going to be like, I'm going to dig into the context. I'm going to make sure, right? That's cool. Do that. But Jesus he realized that the house of God became more about consumerism and less about communion with him. He realized, and there was a righteous anger 
the wrath of the Lord in that moment because the house of God became more about consumerism and less about commitment to Him. Let me just see how this fits. Like, let me just see financially, relationally. Like, let me just get a good look and see, like, does Christianity look good on me? And this really upset the Lord in this moment. First point this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. Jesus didn't call us to see if it fits. He called us to follow Him. But this is what we do in our country, right? Look at James 1, 6 through 11. But when you ask, you must believe. Everybody say believe. And you must not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Man, that's sobering, right? That the motives in which we ask God for certain things, they matter, right? We just sang about having clean hands and what? Okay, three people. All right, all right. Come on, come on. Clean hands and a pure heart. That's what Psalm 24 says. Lord, as I approach you, may I not come with arrogance, thinking that I'm my own God, that I'm my own boss, that I'm cool with Jesus dying on the cross, but giving my life to him, slow down, right? But Jesus didn't call us to say, well, let, let me see if it fits. He said, follow me. He told the disciples to go and sell everything. Right? I mean, that's like a, that's a countercultural gospel that we're hearing. Verse 8, such a person is a double-minded person, unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. You want to hear something really scary? I know it's October, right? Anybody like, oh, I love Halloween. Okay, don't raise your hand. I'm just playing. <laughs> but you know, okay, we don't. We can talk about Halloween outside of here, all right? So, but October is a scary month to a lot of people, right? Okay, it's getting chilly. You know, it's really scary. First off, it's like you got to pack like three or four layers on in the morning, and then at like 1 p.m., you're taking all three. Okay, all right. But here's something really scary. Think about this for a second. You're gonna get this dad humor here, all right? You've never actually fully seen your face. Have you ever thought about that? Okay, no no laughs. Okay, think about this for a second. You've only seen yourself in a mirror, right? Or a picture. Or a, You've never actually seen your face. Are you with me? Anybody? Okay. Everybody's like, no, you're lying. I've actually, okay. I don't know how you do that. Let me know how you do that, okay? But this is the truth, right? This is your mirror. Did you know that? Yeah, I know you walked into church, right? Like, no, 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 I'm good. Like, like I'm a good person. Like, I asked God to come into my heart when I was eight, but I've kind of just been living the same since then, right? But this sets the standard for our lives, right? And I thought, so simple. I was praying this week. I'm like, Lord, what does it mean to go to the next level as a church? And I felt like he simply responded so quiet in my heart. Open up the word, Right? We often overcomplicate it. Well, I just got to try harder. I got to like make sure I got my Christian clothes on, make sure I'm saying the right things. And maybe the simple next step for you is making sure that the Bible doesn't sit there on your nightstand, right? For two, three, four weeks, right? And, and you'd be like, well, I have a Bible. It, it sits there, right? I know exactly where it is. When's the last time you like cracked that thing open, right? The Bible is, everybody say, a mirror. And this is what we try to do, right? We try to find our physical identity right here instead of the spiritual identity 
right here. James 1.12, watch this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Does anyone want to know how to like actually pass the test of a trial? Anybody? Is that just me? Okay. I know we're starting off heavy this morning. Let me just give you a real practical example. If you're taking notes, if you're watching online, there's a big difference between hearing the word and hiding the word in your heart. There's a big, big difference. And this is what James is getting at. You know, you could come to church every week and hear the word and never do it. And you could be like the rest of, you know, the majority of our Christian culture in America is like, man, that's good. I've never heard it said that way. That's good. Are you with me? Okay, nobody thinks that's funny either. My dad jokes are just, all right. Everybody's got their classic response to when they hear a good word, right? Mm, yes, come on. Or nothing, right? Maybe you like, you like, but you're like introvert. That's okay. I'm just totally being transparent. When I said Ron real, I had no idea how Ron real I was going to be with you all this morning. But there's a big difference between everybody say hearing, everybody say hiding. So David says in the scriptures, he says, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I would not sin against you, right? The only way that you can hide your word, hide the word in your heart is if you meditate on it. Watch, Joshua says day and night. You want to get really serious about your walk with Jesus. What if the Bible was the first thing you did and the last thing you did in your day? And even on your lunch break, you're not like, hey, I remember Andy's message I watched on YouTube. No, no, no. There is too much of a spiritual battle happening for you to not open this thing between Monday and Saturday. Are you with me? If you want to try to survive the Christian life by just hearing the word once a week, you will not survive. You won't. Because the word is our sword. The word is the weapon that the enemy doesn't want you to know that you have. Jackson and I were talking this week, right? Imagine you are literally a civilian walking into a war zone and you are unarmed. Like, that's what it's like when you're not in your word every single day. You're unarmed. You don't have the weapons that we fight with. Paul says we don't fight with the weapons of the world, but we fight with spiritual weapons that tear down every stronghold. Are you with me? Maybe we just need to come back to the basics. But, you know, we go from fitting room to fitting room or relationship to relationship, church to church. Which is, it, just, it just doesn't fit me. And that's cool for relationships and churches. But when we do that with the story of Christianity, that's when there's a line that's drawn. Like, like I'm cool. Like, like I, I got baptized a long time ago. But, like, I don't really want to, like, that full surrender word, that's, that's, like, too much for me. I'm not a radical, right? And Jesus came to the disciples. He said, drop your nets, sell everything you own, and follow me. So there's a big difference, if you're taking notes, between passion and zeal. Everybody say passion. Everybody say zeal. See, passion is all about, let me just see how it looks on me. Let me see, like, okay, reading the Bible every once in a while. Like, anybody go to, like, a shoe store? Aren't the shoe mirrors so funny? Anybody else think that's funny? You're like, all right, cool. Yep. Looks like it fits. All right, anyone? All right, I think that's hilarious. But there's a huge difference. Where's Leanne's at right now? Is she in here? She's going to hate me later for how many dad jokes I'm making right now. All right, so there's a huge difference, though, between passion and zeal. See, passion ends when you don't feel like following Jesus anymore. Well, I tried reading the Word. Like, I read it three days in a row, and 
I heard someone say it like this, the first time that you really get into reading your Bible, it won't feel like devotion, it will feel like discipline. And over time, that discipline will turn into devotion. Are you with me this morning? The first three, four, five days, oh my gosh, Acts chapter 6, I read 90 verses today. <sighs> right? And then over time, as you do it, it doesn't become a chore anymore. It actually becomes a blessing. Because you actually see that the word of God is not only your mirror, it's not only your weapon, but it becomes your strength, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness. You know why? Because Jesus is the word. The word became flesh. The Logos word of God. Infallible. The authoritative word of the Lord. What it says in that passage where Jesus gets really upset, he drives people out of the house, right? I wonder what, what Jesus would do if he came into the American Christian culture today. Where would Jesus be? I wonder if we would miss Jesus today if he walked into the room, right? I wonder where he would be serving. And it says in that scripture where Jesus drives them out, out of anger, it actually says that he wanted zeal to consume the house of the Lord. Everybody say zeal. See, zeal is a choice. It's a choice to say, I don't feel like preaching today. You know what? I was under so much spiritual warfare all the way up until this point until I got on the stage. All week. I did not feel like getting up here. But there is a calling on my life that I am committed to that no matter what the cost, no matter what it takes, no matter what the devil puts in my mind, no matter what he says to my family, I'm committed to it. And I want to lead you all. Because if I'm just being honest, when we are tested as Christians in America, we tap out too easily. We tap out. It's like the third round. We're like, I'm out. My finances are the same. My relationships are the same. We follow God for what he can do for us instead of following him for who he is. May we not be those people. Because often when you follow Jesus, things get harder. You thought your life was hard. And Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Let's go. But here's the beautiful part, is there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness ends here. Joy goes on forever into eternity for thousands and millions and millions and billions. It is never ending. And that's what the gospel promises us, an inheritance, an identity. And it says, can you just sacrifice some temporary sacrificial happiness right here? For a lifetime of joy? But it says, what has blinded us? It says in Corinthians that there's a veil that has blinded us to the truth of the gospel. See, I'm fully convinced, to be honest, as a preacher, the more I write messages, the more the Lord is showing me, I need to show people the Father's heart. If you really knew your Father's heart, you would follow Him. I promise. But maybe you had a dad growing up that abused you, that neglected you, and your picture of God is all jacked up. Maybe your picture of Jesus is all truth or all grace. And Jesus said, I came full of grace and full of truth. I think one of the first things that Jesus does when, we, when he gives that invitation for us to follow him is he says, can I just like, can I make sure that the way you see me is for who I, who I really am? And a lot of times we trust things that people have said about God, but we haven't gotten to know him personally, right? Everybody say zeal. So this is the culture point that I want to continue to lead us into. The word resilient. 
We have seven culture values here, and over this series, we're going to be unpacking a few of these as we go. Everybody say resilient. Resilient people don't tap out when it gets tough. Resilient people don't follow Jesus for what he can do for them. They follow him for who he is. Resilient people say, Jesus, I don't want you to just be my savior. I don't want to just cry to you when my car's breaking down and my engine won't start, but I want to cry to you because you're my father. And I want to cry to you like a child in the morning saying, Father, I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy. I don't have the discipline. So, Father, would you fill me? What if we cried out to the Lord that way? Out of relationship and not out of obligation, right? I wonder how many things would change. So come back to the word, James 1, 13 through 18. Are you tracking with me this morning? I know we got off to a funny start. I couldn't get my coat on. You're going to remember that probably for the rest of today, okay? James 1, 13 through 18. I love to have fun with you all. I hope you know that, right? James 1, 13 through 18. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Let's just pause there. You know how many people blame God for everything that's happening right now? Can we just like reread? Let's reverse and read this scripture again. Let's go back to verse 13. Think of it with a new perspective. Oh, it's God's fault. The world's terrible. God doesn't care. Let's read this. No one should say God is tempting me. You're telling me God does not tempt people to do the wicked evil that we see in the world. Are you with me? He does not tempt nor can he tempt anyone. Go to verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. So when sin entered the world, you and I were plagued by it. Verse 14. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Verse 15. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Verse 17. Every good and perfect gift. Like, can we just praise God for every good and perfect gift right now? Every good thing that He has ever done to you, your family, just that you have a roof over your head, you have food on the table, you have water, you have a community that loves you. All of that is the fingerprint of God in your life. Just the fact that your heart is still beating is the grace of God in your life. I hope you know that. And we take it for granted. We take life for granted. We take faith for granted. Aren't you thankful that God does not change like shifting shadows? Aren't you thankful that when we are faithless, he remains faithful? Are you with me? That even when we don't feel like following Jesus, he still sends people into our path to say, hey, can I encourage you? He still sends you that right person to text you late at night when you thought of taking your own life. And someone from the community of believers in Jesus Christ says, hey, I love you enough for you to not do that. I love you enough to reach out. So God does not tempt anyone. Are you with me this morning? So let's take this a step further and really unpack what is your view of God? Let's let's just go there. There's a big difference between a trial and a trauma. There's a huge difference, right? Everybody say trial. These are testings. These are trainings. These are sharpenings. That person that you don't like that God hand-selected to be your boss to sharpen you, that's a trial right? But there's a huge difference between a trial and a trauma, someone being sexually abused as a young child. You're going to claim that was from the Lord? Really? Does God tempt anyone? Come on. So let's really take this a step deeper. 
I heard someone say this recently, don't leave Jesus because of Judas. And many of us are like, you know what, I'm not really down with the whole church thing anymore. Like, like I was really hurt at church. What about the other places you have been hurt in your life that you remain at the same place? You were hurt at your job, but you still go back to your job. You were hurt in your family, you still go back to your family. And I think this is one of the enemy's greatest tactics because we are imperfect reflections of a perfect Savior, right? And humans are going to be humans. That's not an excuse for that sin. And in fact, if anyone's watching online or in the room, I want to publicly apologize for any hurt that a Christian has caused you. A pastor, a leader, a small... There is no excuse for that. And there will be conviction. There will be justice on Judgment Day, right? But don't leave Jesus because someone in your small group did something crazy. And it wasn't the hand of God. See, just as easy as God can send someone your way, Satan also wants to tempt people to come your way and do dumb things and to say dumb things because the enemy's greatest goal is if he can convince you that God is not for you. Everybody say for you. If Satan can convince you that God is not for you, why would you want to follow him? But Romans tells us if God is for us, what does it say? Who could be against us? Every single day, 24-7, 365, Satan is after your soul, trying to convince you and distort the picture of the Heavenly Father just a little bit. Like, just a little bit. If he can convince you that God like kind of cares about your life, but it says, God, if you are mindful, if you created the sun, the moon, and the stars, who are you that you are mindful of man? It says that he is an ever-present help in time of need. You know, you may have taken your eyes off of the Lord, but guess what? He has not taken his eyes off of you. That's the truth. He hasn't. And that's the beautiful part, is even when we feel like we have nothing left to give. He says, I'm your portion. I'm your cup. Let me refill you. Renew your strength. So James 1.13, no one should say, God is tempting me. See, let's take it even a step further. We must separate in our personal theology of who we believe God to be. What do you believe God causes and what do you believe he allows? This is really, really, really important to your view of God. And we believe at one church that God's given us free will. We believe that in order for this perfect love relationship for us to be reunited with God, that he would give us this gift of free will. That he doesn't control us like puppets. He doesn't control us like robots. But he actually loves us enough to have a real, authentic relationship with us. Where he talks to you and you talk to him. It says in Exodus, we talked about this last week, that Moses spoke to God. What does it say? Face to face as one speaks to a friend. See, many of us know God only as judge. Everybody say judge. judge. Okay, like, like my Christianity, I know that on judgment day, God will judge me and I hope I'm a good person. I pray that I get in, right? And maybe you've only known God as judge. And the good news is that the blood of Jesus makes you worthy to actually be forgiven to have right relationship with God, that you can approach God with freedom and confidence. You don't have to approach him like he's going to smite you. He's your father, right? But maybe you've only known God as judge and not as friend. Did you know God is your friend? Okay, what? No, I don't know about that. Are you sure? Really? He loves you so much that he wants to have a real conversation with you, right? Where you can be real and raw. God, this is what I'm going through. 
You know, they called David a man after God's own heart. Are you with me? Guess who questioned God the most? That guy. God, where are you? My car's not starting. Where are you? You said you're real. Why have you forsaken me, right? And I think the Lord loves that playful relationship, to be honest, sometimes, because I think he knows he's our father, right? And he wants you to be honest more than he wants you to be eloquent. I know we value like being the smartest, coolest, most polished person in America, New York City, L.A., right? But really what God is after is your honesty. Are you real with God? Or do you go into his presence? God, I did the right thing. I I read my Bible this week. God's not looking for a fake relationship with you. He's not looking for you to go through the motions and put on this church face. He wants you to come to him real and raw, broken, insecure, depressed, anxious. Here I am, Lord. He says, I have been waiting for this moment. Because I love you so much, I am about to transform you from the inside out. This is who God is. Can I get an amen? Anybody with me? All right. So I want to skip a slide here, and I want to just share this. Many of us blame God for our trauma. And when we blame God for our trauma, we don't trust him anymore. So would you go ahead and stand to your feet? I just want to bring you to the end here. Number two is this, last couple ideas and we'll be done. It's a lot easier to throw a stone than it is to hold a mirror. It's a lot easier to go into a a church looking for something wrong with it. You'll find it. I I promise. It's a lot easier to go into a, a job looking for something wrong with your boss. You'll find it. It's a lot easier to go into a marriage blaming everything on your spouse and never acting like any of it was your fault. It's really easy to do that. You know that? That's why everybody wants to throw a stone. You know what's a lot harder to do? Right here. God, what do I have to work on? Like, before I ever come at someone else, what are the things in my heart that are not of you? May we be the kind of people that are quick to hold a mirror. So James 1, 19-26, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick. What does it, what does it say? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Does our generation and our country need to hear that right now? Like, can we just be real? Your one-liner Facebook posts are not helping Christianity right now. They're not. And honestly, I would really hope that we have more conversations than presentations. Oh, but we're quick to cast a stone. Let's get really real. What's your favorite political party? Oh, oh, no, no. There's nothing wrong with mine. I've looked in the mirror. There's nothing. Really? Have you ever really checked out what's going on? And Jesus didn't come to establish a political party. He came to establish the kingdom of God. And you're going to be worshiping with Democrats, Republicans, third parties. Isn't that great? I love that. That's why we named it One Church. So, verse 21 Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. Do not merely, everybody say, listen. Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Verse 23, anyone who looks to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face. Just get the weight of this. Who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. See, I'd be bold enough to say that You might know what you look like on Sunday, but do you know what you look like on Tuesday? Are you with me? 
Because the only way you're going to remember is right here. Tuesday morning comes. You don't feel like going to work. Guess what? Nobody does, usually. Actually, I love going to work. I love being a pastor. All right, let me take that back. But when you get into the Word, it's so simple. It doesn't matter if you open up the book of James. It doesn't matter if you open up the book of Leviticus. Are you with me? Just start reading it. And just get on your hands and knees and say, Father, before I ever pick up a stone, may I never pick up a stone. May I get on my my knees? And all you have to do is open it up, be plugged into a community and say, Father, would you just teach me? I want to know you. Teach me. It says that he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we don't have to read the word alone. Are you with me? You're never alone. You actually have a teacher. Everybody say teacher. His name is the Holy Spirit. And He came so that we wouldn't just know the Father through Jesus, but Jesus said, it's better that I leave so that I can send the counselor, the teacher. He's going to remind you of everything that I already told the disciples. So that when you get alone with God in your bedroom late at night, early in the morning, and you say, Father, I just want to know you. He'll teach you. He'll teach you. And it might come with some painful moments where He might point some things out in you. Uh Uh-oh, right? That's not of God. But here's what we do. We judge someone for sinning differently than us. That hurts to hear, right? And to be honest, I'm right there with you. There's been so many times in my life that out of insecurity, we're we're quick to point out the speck in someone else's eye when there's a plank in our own eye, right? So there's a funny way to explain this. You know, two of my least favorite words ever or just wait. Anybody ever heard me tell this story? Okay. You're at a wedding. This is funny, so you can breathe for a second. You're, you're at a baby shower, and the young couples are like, oh my gosh, we're so excited for you, selfies and all that, right? And then there's like that, that. And I'm not picking on the older crowd. Okay, it's not everybody. It's not everybody. But there just happens to be this one, you know, couple that will walk up, and they'll say, hey, just wait. I know you're excited to get married. It's going to take a turn for the worst at some point, right? Okay, nobody thinks, all right. But this is what we do. We project our fears and our failures on others. To take it a step deeper, we throw the stone because we're not secure in our identity in Christ. That we want people to feel the same pain we do in our marriage that's broken. We want people to feel the same pain at work because we don't feel seen or loved. Third is this. We'll be done in just a moment. God invites us into honest moments. Everybody say honest. Honest. Like I said, David was a man after God's own heart, right? And I think for a lot of us, as we just go into this response portion, I think we have to ask the question, like, God, why? Why? Why do I keep ending up in front of this screen late at night looking at images that I should not be looking at? Like instead of just saying, Jesus, forgive me, okay, I move on. No, no, let's take the next five weeks to really take a good look. Why, God? Why have I not forgiven that person? It happened three, four years ago, and I keep talking about it every Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, like why? So Psalm 139, 23 through 24, David says, search me. Everybody say, search me. May this be our prayer over the next five weeks. 
Search me, O God. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Look at David's boldness. He was an honest man before God. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And I know we're quick to point out someone else, but may we come to the word of God, the true mirror. Say, God, what is in me that cannot stay? There was a, an artist named Michelangelo. You ever heard of him? And he, okay, cool. A few people. He made this statue of David, right? We're not going to put it up on the screen. Don't worry, okay? Some of you are like, all right. So, so he made this statue of David. Hang with me. Wow, I lost some of you today. And this is what he said. This is so beautiful, actually. There was a, a piece of marble. Two other artists began working on that block of marble, and they gave up. And it says throughout the research that they gave up because it had too many imperfections. I don't have time for this. I'm not going to do this. They gave up, right? And I just want to share something with maybe a group of people who are watching online or in the room this morning. Maybe you feel like you are that person. When you look into the mirror, you feel like chewed up and spit out and you just have no self-worth. Maybe you're like, I don't know if anyone loves me, let alone God, right? And then here comes Michelangelo. It says that piece of marble sat for about 40 to 50 years. And this is the quote that I took away from this. Listen to this. Michelangelo said, I created a vision of David in my mind and simply carved away everything that was not David. And you might feel this morning unwanted, unloved. You might feel overlooked. You might actually look in the mirror and think you're the greatest thing that's ever happened. Maybe humility is what we need this morning, right? I don't know where you're coming from. But look at this, Ephesians 2, 8. God saved you by his grace. Everybody say, by his grace. When you believed, and you cannot take credit for this, it is a gift from God. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Aren't you grateful for that? So that no one can boast. So that when we all look into the mirror, no one could say, I got myself here. No, no, no. By the grace of God, you are where you are. By the grace of God, you're in that job. By the grace of God, you're in that family. By the grace of God, you're in that neighborhood. By the grace of God, he gave you those kids that you see as a burden but are really a blessing from the Lord. And then here's what verse 10 says. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. So I'll end with this last thought. Trials come to bring it full circle. Why? Why do trials come? To carve away everything that's not of the masterpiece. Can I just be real? How many times in marriage, it's like looking into a mirror. If I'm talking to the married people, can I get an amen? You know what's an even more difficult mirror? is having a child. The other day, I said, oh my gosh. Aliana starts going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my. Anybody like ever seen? Okay. My one and a half year old is repeating things I'm saying right now. Just to. But the beautiful part is that even when we look into the mirror, you might see a mess. You might see something that's broken. You might see something that's all over the place. And what God sees is a masterpiece in the making. And I want to speak to the elderly right now. There's a group of people in here. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're over the age. I don't even know. I'm not going to give an age number. But maybe you feel like, honestly, I'm at the end of my life. Why would God still want to do something through me? What if God has an incredible plan for your life in the next few? Maybe it's the next 20. Maybe it's the next 30 years, right? If your heart is still beating, God's not done with you. 
So I can't think of a better way to end than communion. And we're going to take communion together. And the beautiful part is Jesus, as he went to the cross, before he did, he said, I want you to know what this is going to represent. That I want to invite you into this. And it says that he broke bread, he gave it to them. He said, this is my body that's been given to you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. He said, this cup represents the blood that I will shed for you. See, Jesus loves us so much. He wants us to be close. And when we come to the table, broken, insecure, flawed, can I encourage you that God says you are a masterpiece in the making, like the potter and the clay. And he loves you. He has a plan for your life. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that we are real and raw before you. And maybe someone this morning feels like, you know what? I've never actually given my life to Jesus. That with heads bowed, eyes closed. As I hear the message of the gospel, I feel like I've been the shifting shadow, that God's remained constant in my life, but I have kind of been like putting on the coat and taking it off. I'm kind of in, I'm kind of out. I'm kind of in, I'm kind of out. And if there's anyone in the room this morning that wants to just say, God, I'm all in. Enough with this putting on a face, going to church, trying to do good works, but I want to like give my life to Jesus this morning. Would you just lift a hand this morning if that's you? I see your hand. Anyone else that wants to give their life to Jesus? There's no shame. There's no condemnation. He loves you. I see your hand. Anyone else that wants to go all in this morning? Just lift your hand. And the second response this morning, you can put your hands down. Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed for a moment. Second response is for any believers in the room. And you just know yeah, I'm already saved, Andy, but when I look into the mirror, I just can't believe that God has a plan for my life, that I'm either too old or I'm not talented enough or I don't have what it takes. Or There's just lies that I feel like we have agreed to that we need to come out of right now. And I thank you, Lord, that though it says the enemy is the father of lies, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's any believers in the room, you just... You just know, man, there's some lies in my life about who I am that I just want to, I want to give these to the Lord this morning. Just raise your hand. I'm right there with you. Lord, we lift our hands to you because we don't want to agree with what the world says about us. We don't want to agree with what the enemy has told us. So right now, Lord, we just come out of agreement with those lies. Lord, we just rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. We cut off his voice. And I thank you, Lord, that you are speaking identity right now. You're bringing beauty up from the ashes right now, Lord. Places that we've been abused, maybe places that we've been neglected, maybe places that we feel like we let someone else down. Lord, I thank you that your grace is overflowing in this room. That you're speaking a new word over us, Lord. Or maybe reminding us of an old one you've already spoken. Lord, I just pray that the identity in Christ would be so firm and secure in this room. That with you at our right hand, we will not be shaken. And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Would you give the Lord one more shout of praise? Come on, he's worthy. He's worthy. And so I encourage you as you come to the table, come through the outside of your rows and go back in through the middle. And we do have some gluten-free options. They're a little hard to pull sometimes, so just take your time, okay?
I love you all. It's hard for me too. But as you come, come full of freedom and confidence. You don't have to hang your head down low. You can lift your head, your head held high, not out of arrogance, but out of a pure humility before the Lord. He has chosen you. He has not forsaken you. He loves you. And he is who he says he is. Can I get an amen? So would you come to the table?